morning, everyone. Are you doing good? Doesn't it feel good to give? Right? Doesn't it feel good? How many of you got all your Christmas shopping done? Oh, boy, there's some people, you got to get your hustle on, don't you? <laughs> and now you're like, Pastor Steve just took it all. So it's all right. Hugs work on Christmas morning. Hugs work, all right? Get some matching pajamas, take some awkward photos, you'll be fine. <laughs> we are so glad you're here today. Welcome all of you in Lawrenceburg today. We love you. How exciting is that building? That building's pretty cool. I know some of you are like thinking, when that's built, I might just go, you know, drive to Tennessee on Sunday morning. That looks so cool. <clears throat> well, whatever. We're just glad that it's going up. And what a great honor it is to invest and to be part of what the miracle that's happening there. So this morning we are concluding our series, The Perfect Gift, before next Sunday and on our Christmas Sunday, which is, as Pastor Steve already said, it is going to be amazing. The music, the video, the, the preaching, the, just everything. It's just going to be so amazing. And isn't it fun to come into a church and see like things decorated and, and people all festive? So come festive. All right, get your festive on next week, all right? Your, your most colorful coat or sweater, or maybe you've been saving that ugly Christmas sweater for next week. Come festive, and let's just come celebrate together next week, both campuses. Even if you're home on Facebook or online, go ahead, put something festive on next week as well. We'll be glad. Well, how many of you in your home have a nativity set? You know, some of you don't call it maybe a nativity set, but you got something set up with little baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and a few shepherds, maybe some sheep. And, and we have one at our home. And uh, it is probably the most valuable thing in our entire home to me. If I were to run in and our house was burning, I would want that nativity set. Um, my mom gave it to me before she had passed away. And I don't remember Christmas without it. I, I don't have a Christmas where that nativity set wasn't there and... Um, and, and so it's, it means so much to me. Last night as I was preparing for this message again, I began to look at it, got a little bit misty, and uh, just the, today just thought, boy, if I could just honor my mom again and the investment she made in my life of just telling me the story of Jesus, and, and it was so important to her. And so today, as, as we think about the perfect gift, and, and we've already heard two sermons that were so well done and, uh, and, and when we were talking about it, Pastor Steve said, I want to do this with, with Pastor Adam and, and with Pastor Chili. And in case you don't know, that's me. And uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And, um, and he said, he's going to take gold. And he should because he's the rock star of this place, all right? And uh, if anybody should get gold, it's Pastor Steve, all right? And then Pastor Adam Frankincense, that's like, you know, the, the holy priest. He's kind of got that holy kind of cool voice and everything. And then I got myrrh. And you're like going, good luck with that one, Chili. <laughs> but as I got into it and began to study, it's such a powerful gift that, that was presented to Jesus. And I began to think, who were these wise men or these magi? Were there three of them or was there ten or, or, or who were they? You see, they weren't just three wise men. In fact, there was probably a large entourage, you know, and, and in that entourage, there would have been the Magi, but they would have been accompanied probably by a small army. 
the Magi weren't kings, they were kingmakers. They were people who had a hereditary priesthood tribe in charge of acknowledging and advising kings. They were astronomers, scientists, philosophers. They were wise, educated people. Basically, people like you. <laughs> There's like two of you that acknowledge that you could be smart. You know, really, if there's a place for you to cheer when it's like, they were wise like you, you'd go, yay, all right? But no, you're like, what do you mean? (laughs) I don't know if I want to sign up for wise men yet. They were seekers of understanding, respecters of mystery. And like I said, the wise men were people like us. Here's what I mean. They were inquisitive individuals. Intrigued by new opportunity to learn. They were eager to experience new things. Anybody like that? You know, they were people on a journey, on a mission, an expedition. They were people who liked adventure. They were seeking understanding, valuing the very best in science and technology. I hear all of these descriptions. It reminds me of this generation. I'm so honored to to be part of our young adults and and be part of what they're doing, which, by the way, has a Christmas party this Tuesday night at 7.30. Okay, back back to the message. Just throwing that out there. If you're a young adult, you should come. All right. But they were looking for connection. They're seeking knowledge, seeking understanding. I don't think we get up on Sunday morning if we're not looking for something, if we're not on a journey, if we're not excited about something. They got up two years early and have been traveling because they are so excited about something that's been foretold. They're looking for the king of the Jews. They're looking for Jesus. And if you're seeking Jesus, you're wise. If you're seeking Jesus this morning, you're wise. Maybe there's other reasons that you got up and came to church today. You came to see friends. You came to have coffee. You came to serve in one of our areas, and we have so many people serving. Maybe you came because somebody made you come. (laughs) I won't ask for a show of hands, but I did see heads nodding and elbows. (laughs) Who knows why you're here, but I'll tell you, Jesus knows you're here, so you might as well just worship him and be wise. See, they weren't Christians, since that term would not be used for a century or two. Yet, when they arrived at the place where Jesus was, they seemed to know what to do. They seemed to know what to do. You know, sometimes people will ask you, right? You invite them to church, they're like, what do you do there? What do you do at church? And you're like, well, they're singing, and, well, some people will raise their hands. Why? Because at our church, some people raise their hands. And if somebody asks me, why do you raise your hand to us? It's like a stick up. I surrender. You know, somebody comes in a bank and says, give me your money. My hands go up. I'm in the presence of Jesus. It's like, you're in charge. Raising hands is easy. Well, the Bible tells us to as well when we worship. But that's not the freak out part. I come because I'm seeking the Lord. I come because every time I meet with Jesus... I'm always changed. Every time I open the word of God, there he is. 
And every time I meet with him, my life is changed. And I come seeking. I didn't come today to fill out, you know, a checklist. Oh, God, look at me. I went to church again. I came to say, what are we doing this week? What are we doing today, Lord? What's awesome in store for this week? I came to get some Christmas cards to hand out to my friends and neighbors. That's another place you could say, me too. Amen. Keep going, Chili. All right. They seem to know what to do. Look at Matthew 2.11. They came to the house where the child was, and they saw him with his mother, with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their gifts, and they gave him treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So as Pastor Steve mentioned two weeks ago in his message, gold represents that Jesus is king of kings. And Pastor Adam mentioned last week that frankincense, it's Jesus is high priest. And then myrrh. Hmm. Hmm. Anybody want to take a stab at it? All right, I'll keep going. Of these gifts, the most important, maybe to me, at least the most interesting and mysterious of all was myrrh. It's so inspiring, and it shows us the depths of God's love. And it's not something that normally we bring to a baby dedication. Unless, like, you're totally into, like, you know, the, the scents and, and, and the oils and all of that. And some of you know you're just addicted to that. We have a deliverance ministry for that essential oil. But they brought gold frankincense and myrrh. See, myrrh was this precious and expensive substance associated with death. See, gold, it doesn't really give off a smell, but it gives off a bling, right? It's shiny. It's awesome. I can see baby Jesus' eyes going, woo, you know, because that baby walks on streets of gold, you know, he, that, that's where he came from. I can see that being attractive. Frankincense was the, was the aroma of the temple. It's what the presence of God would have kind of smelled like to people who worshipped. So that would have been quite impressive. But then there's myrrh. And I don't know about you, but I like the smell of a hospital better than the smell of a funeral home. Right? It's just got its own scent. And it's a scent that says, we probably shouldn't stay long. I want to go somewhere else. And I know that we all have to kind of be there at times. And, and we grieve and we have all those things. But that's myrrh. Myrrh is associated with death. And you imagine Joseph and Mary, you know, so poor that they stay in a borrowed stable. Now visited by this entourage of dignitaries who opened chests of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they look at each other. They know, they know why Jesus came. But it did have to be reminded so quickly, right away. You see, myrrh goes back thousands of years before Christ was born. Myrrh is an aromic resin it's kind of reddish gum that comes from these small thorny trees, mainly from a region near Turkey. 
And the Old Testament, in fact, Old Hebrew, the word for myrrh is mor, M-O-R. And in the Greek, the word is smyrna. Now, the word myrrh appears in the Bible 17 times, 14 in the Old Testament, 3 in the New Testament. But I want you to think about this. This word myrrh in the old ancient Hebrew, mor, it is from the same word that we get from Mount Moriah. And on Mount Moriah is where Abraham was asked to prove his faith and sacrifice his only son, Isaac, on an altar. And you know the story, at the last minute an angel came and, and spared Isaac's life. And that proved that, that Abraham did have the faith. But you may not know that also Mount Moriah is geographically the same place where Golgotha is. And there is foreshadowing that goes all the way back to this word more, which in ancient Hebrew not only signified death, but death that would come from a father to a son. So here is myrrh arriving when Jesus was just young. Smyrna, which is mentioned in the New Testament in Revelation chapter 2, when it begins to mention the churches there, and would be today Izmir, Turkey, or modern eastern Turkey. So here are these two substance, or one substance, but mentioned in two different ways in the word of God. And they have significant meaning. Now, in Esther, it was a beauty treatment. In Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, it was perfume. In more modern times, it was an antiseptic. In Egypt, it is the primary embalming fluid. Now, if you know the story here, after they leave, Jesus is going to be taken to Egypt. His mother and father are warned by angels to flee to Egypt, to spare his life. And what are they taking with them? They're taking myrrh. Myrrh, one of the most highly valuable trading type of substances, especially in Egypt, where they embalm mummies with myrrh. It's all there. It was used by Jews to treat the outside of the body, to mitigate the stench of decay. So that's what Mary and Joseph would have known it for. They would have smelled that smell and they would have thought if they've ever been at the death of anyone, they knew that's what it was for. That would have been the only time they would have ever smelled myrrh in their lives was at the burial of someone. So let's think about this again, the foreshadowing. Receiving myrrh as a young child. Friends, what we need to really wrap our heads around this morning is Jesus, unlike any baby ever born, was born to die. He was born to die. So many other titles are given to Jesus, and they are all fitting. But he was born to die. And I can't imagine, again, the look in Mary and Joseph as they smelled the myrrh and they looked at the child knowing that that little child that they may lay in a wooden trough would be laid on a wooden cross 33 years later to die for our sins. This is why he came. And at the very beginning of his life, the path is set. Jesus would come to the end of himself in order to give us a new beginning. Jesus 
would come to the end of himself. He would go through everything. He would be tempted in all ways and never sin. He'd be accused of things that he never did and he would pay the price for every one of us. This is who Jesus is. Myrrh was also a painkiller. In Jesus' day, if you mixed it with a liquid, it could numb all your pain. And Jesus referred, refused myrrh on the cross. It says, Mark 15, 23, they offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Why? Why did he refer, refuse it? It could have made dying easier because it couldn't make dying easier. He had to come to the end of the self. He felt every sin that I have ever committed, that you have ever committed, that was ever committed before him, that would ever be committed after him. He became sin on the cross and he felt the weight of sin to the very point that his own father looked away and he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because he became pain and sin and death on the cross. And he wasn't going to be numbed. If myrrh was going to touch his body, it was going to be at the end, but not to make it easier. And so many times we look at church or our service as a pain number. You know, like feeling the presence of God isn't the same as knowing the presence of God. Saul would feel the presence of God when David would worship and the minute he would stop, he would throw spears at him. And I'm here to tell you today that Christmas isn't Christmas just because we can see Jesus in a manger, but we must see Jesus on the cross. We must identify that our sin is connected to his grace and his life and his journey. Too often we're seeking something to numb the pain rather than choosing to come to the end of ourselves. You know, we can always find someone worse than us. We can always find someone who really needs that message. We can find someone who needs to hear, someone who needs to acknowledge Christ. We can get so caught up in worship that we feel like God is right there. But feeling God and knowing God are not the same. It's not the same. It wasn't enough for the wise men to just come and go, you're awesome, here's some gifts. They had to come to the end of themselves. We have to die to self. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ where I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave his life as a ransom for me. You see, when we come to the end of ourselves, we begin to understand the grace and the power and the love of God. When we understand that it's not just giving God more than other people or giving God because I come to church on Sunday or because I try to make my good greater than my bad, it's not enough. Nothing we do, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. But when you come to the end of yourself and you say, I surrender all, I'm done with me, have all of me, Jesus, the sin, the death, the, the, the past, the anger, the bitterness, the gossip, the pride, have it all, Jesus. 
then we can begin to understand because myrrh is a substance that gives its best scent when it's crushed. When we're crushed. When Jesus is crushed. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. The myrrh that we give Christ is us saying, crush me. I'm tired of making everything about me, about my identity and how cool I am and what I'm into. We work on our profiles that people see online more than we work on who we are in Jesus' presence. And we find ourselves living a lie with everyone, including Jesus. Who are you? Are you who you say you are on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok? Is that who you are? Is that who Jesus says you are? Is that who we want to be identified with for all of eternity? So that our insecurity will always be craving a like from somebody instead of a love from the Lord. See, God comes and he crushes all those things in our life so that the fragrance of death would also become the fragrance of life. For us, the same substance associated with Jesus' early life, myrrh, is associated with the end of his life. And it's presented to him after his birth and at his death. No other substance. They're not bringing gold to the tomb or even frankincense. But there's myrrh. You see, Jesus knew his mission. In John 3, 16, we have a familiar verse that we can quote, that we have plaques, that we have shirts. We see it at, in the end zones at football games. John 3, 16. But did you know that John 3, 16 wasn't preached to a crowd? It was spoken to one guy who snuck up in the middle of the night, Nick at night. And Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, what must I do to be saved? How can I be born again? And Jesus said to one person, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He said it to one person, and he says it to one person, and one person, and one person, and one person, one person, and one person, and one person. He's saying it to you today. He's saying it to Nicodemus. He's saying, will you believe it? And Nicodemus had a lot to live for. He was a Pharisee, and he was one of the up-and-coming religious scholars of his day. But three years later, he's a daring man on a mission to be associated with Jesus at all costs. And when he was left hanging on the cross, Nicodemus made arrangements, and he went and got them. And when he came... And with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Nicodemus, who was so afraid to even be seen with Jesus three years ago, that he would come at night and not want anyone to know, is now risking his life. And you know, you don't just like carry around 75 pounds of myrrh in your pocket. You know? That's right. There's a smile going with him wherever he's going. And he makes it arrangement. Can we receive his body? Can we bury him before sundown? Can we take care of the Lord? 
and he goes extravagant. 75 pounds of myrrh. See, Nicodemus had come to the end of himself, and his worship with myrrh was very wise. Okay, so let's get back to the perfect gift. We left off at Matthew 2, 11. They bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their gifts and they gave him treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, as I mentioned, <clears throat> but now we can settle this. Gold, Jesus is king of kings, Frankenstein, Frankenstein. <laughs> Jesus is a monster to the devil. No, frankincense, Jesus is our high priest. And myrrh, Jesus is Savior and Lord. Jesus is Savior and Lord. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered the smell of death. And he smells good. Mm. Now we get it. Yes. King of kings, high priest, Savior and Lord. I get it. But is knowing enough? No way. It's not enough. Actions required. Actions required. You want to know how you know if you really meet Jesus as your Savior and Lord? As soon as you kind of complete that prayer, you go, I want to do something. I want to do something for God. I want to get involved. I want, to, I want something to do. I, I don't, you know, you don't just go, oh, I feel really good. And somebody goes, hey, brother, hey, sister, and that's just it. I just feel kind of weird and kind of fun and it's kind of neat. No, I want to get involved. You find somebody go, what can I do? And they go, and you go back to grow you, and they're like, come on, give me something to do. Give me people to connect with. I want to serve, right? Thank you, Netta. My wife's like, yes. She runs the whole kids' ministry. They, they depend on a few hundred every week. But I wonder, do we get involved? See, it's great. It's a, it's a message. We can go home and say, look, I know what gold, frankincense, and myrrh mean. It'd be a lot better if you just preach it with your life. If you would just become involved, if you'd get into the action part, because action's required. These men, without training, protocol, or religious demands, enter the house of the Christ child, offering their very best with gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they offer the best of themselves. This morning, many of us have offered one of our best offerings ever, and it required big faith. Maybe you didn't yet, so you can give again. We, we still take more if they want. See, we will. But it required big faith. Perhaps some changes in our spending this month. Some of you will have like, look at your kids on Christmas morning and go, you know that building in Lawrenceburg? Enjoy your candy. <laughs> and that just sounds so horrible because we've been bribing our kids for years. But what I'm really saying is that no matter what we gave monetarily, what you've given today in your time, what you've given in your talent, there's still more. What was in their hands was valuable, but it wasn't enough to lie at the feet of a king. So without hesitation, they bent their knees and they buried their faces in the floor, becoming face down before the king of kings. They gave all of themselves, everything, Everything. You see, the Magi didn't find Jesus at the end of their journey. They worshiped him at the end of themselves. 
They worshiped him. They got down. How weird. It's a, a, a little baby. But they worshiped him. They got down on their faces. You see, worship is the fourth gift of the Magi. When you talk about gold, frankincense, and myrrh, never leave out worship. In fact, worship should be first because they, before they even gave the gifts, they got on their faces before the Lord. But worship is how we can worship God. It's how we can give gifts to God. We can all worship God. And we're going to do that for all eternity. You see, they were worshiping Jesus Christ specifically, not God generically. I want you to understand that they, just, they weren't going, well, you're a God. No, they were worshiping Jesus Christ because it's at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. It's at the name of Jesus that demons flee. Jesus is the son of God. He is the promise. And now it's being fulfilled and they're worshiping Jesus. Worship is costly. And worship and giving gifts are always connected together. They finance their trip. That's part of it. But now they give gifts. And giving is always connected to worship. Far more than singing. The great reformer Martin Luther said this. There are three conversions that are necessary in a person's life. You answer if you've been converted to all three. The conversion of the heart. The conversion of the mind. And the conversion of the wallet. <laughs> the third is usually the most difficult. It will cost you. It will cost you to worship Jesus. It will cost you to be a follower of Jesus. You may lose your dignity. You might lose some relationships. People may not invite you to certain places. People might ostracize you. People might label you. It may change some things in your life. You may not be able to buy some of the things on earth that are necessary for you to compete with other people. But you will get the eye of God and the heart of a father placed inside of you as you become like Jesus, as you come to the end of yourself, as you begin to worship God in spirit and in truth. You see, it will ultimately cost you you. It costs you. But here's the beautiful part of it. Our worship becomes our walk. Our worship becomes our walk. You see, these magi, without being prompted or asked, seal their commitment by getting involved. They could have just said, here's your gifts, here's your stuff, good luck. We've got to go. We've been away from our family for a long time. They had been to Jerusalem before they'd been with Jesus. King Herod had said, hey, when you find them, let me know. Come back to Jerusalem. Let me know. Then I'll go and worship them. I'll go worship Jesus, the king of the Jews. But he was just planning to kill Jesus and any threat to his kingdom. So you see here, at the risk of losing their own lives, they respond to a dream that God gives them, and they depart another way. Rather than returning to Herod, they become accomplices and financial backers to Herod's new enemy. They're now connected. They're financing them. They are behind them, and they are escaping. They're not coming back. And anyone 
Anyone who encounters Jesus, your life is changed. It's never enough to simply recognize who he is. We must get caught up in what he's doing and join the mission at all costs. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and I'm praying, I say, God, where are you working today? Can I join in what you're doing? Aren't we so selfish? We're always like, here's what I got going on today. Can you join me here? Can you help me with my test? Can you show up over here? I got an important meeting today. Oh, I'm the opposite. So Jesus, where are you working? Who are you working in? How can I join in what you're doing? Sure, I've got things on my agenda, but you are my agenda. You are my everything. I have come to the end of myself, and I'm not here to order you around and ask you to follow me. You're not a dog. That spells backwards, God. You're Jesus, and I'm going to follow you and go where you want me to go. So they didn't walk the same way they did before meeting Jesus, and neither should you. Neither should you, because this is our testimony. We walk different. When you meet Jesus, you walk differently. You walk different. I know that I've traveled to countries all over the world, and one of the things they say about Americans, some of you know this, they say, we can tell an American from the minute you walk off the plane, because Americans walk different. They're like, Americans walk with a freedom we've never seen in any other people. You'll walk side by side instead of in a row. You talk out loud on, down the sidewalks, and then sometimes if it's not busy, you'll walk right on the streets. You're so presumptuous and obnoxious, you Americans. But what is the world envy of us most? It's our freedom. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. When you encounter Jesus, there should be a different way that you walk. There should be a different way about us that people can go, you are different. The way you walk into work, the way that you walk to the coffee pot, the way that you walk in a store, there is a glory upon you. There is a connection with Jesus. And maybe at times it's, you shine like gold and other times they need a priest and other times they need to die to self. But God makes these gifts come alive in you so that there's purpose in your pace. There's destiny in the direction and there's joy in the journey. There's purpose in your pace. Destiny in the direction and joy in the journey. You see, this morning, we've already worshipped with gifts. Maybe you have more to give. But now let's give ourselves. I love the last three weeks of this series, how we've done worship at the end. Have you enjoyed that? Even if you haven't, we've locked the back door, so you can't leave when I'm done. (laughs) We're going to worship the Lord for a few minutes this morning. And you know what? I'm going to challenge you. Why don't you get out of your seat, even into an aisle or something in a minute, just to get in an approaching mode to Jesus And when we worship. And you know, you could do it every Sunday if you wanted to. We could fill the front of this every morning when we wanted to worship if you want to. But I'm just saying today. But before we do that, let me ask this. Is there anyone here right now that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Oh my goodness, don't leave here knowing about him and not knowing him. He loves you. He died on the cross. He finished what he started as a baby. He finished. And let me tell you something. That smell of myrrh only lasted three days on that body because he rose from the dead. And he lives forevermore. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Chili, 
I'm ready to be all in and live for Jesus. I want you to raise your hand right now. Yes, 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 yes. Look, we're not bowing our heads. We're proud. We want to live for Jesus. Who else today says, yes, I need to get it right with him. Let's all stand, and I want you to pray with me. We can all pray. Because if you already prayed this prayer, then this is practice for you to pray it with somebody else this week. Anybody have faith that you're going to lead someone to Jesus this week? Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. I believe he came to this earth as a baby, and he lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross for my sin. And right now, I ask Jesus to come into my life and forgive me of every sin, all my past, everything in me that's not of you. Forgive me. Because you died for me, I will live for you. I'm ready to walk different today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to text the word ALIVE to 97000, ALIVE 97000, so we can hook up with you. Now, the rest of us, why don't we just step out a little bit and let's worship. I know, it's kind of weird. I'll go first. All right, I'm here. All right. But let's just, just worship God for a few minutes. This song is one I think the Magi would have loved this song as it talks about the sky and it talks about the stars. And they would worship, so will I. Let's worship the name of Jesus together. Come on, give your best worship today and honor the Lord.